0: Hey, 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 guys.
1: Welcome to Building This Community. This is your city business and policy development podcast. We're your hosts, Luke Patrick and Andrew Klump. Welcome to this week's episode of Building This Community. Today, our guest is Cindy Sullivan, who is currently the executive director and president of Trees Louisville. Cindy, thanks for joining us today. How are you?
2: I'm very well, Andrew and Luke. Thank you very much for having me today.
1: Well, we're very happy to have you today. We know that you uh, have been involved in Louisville for decades and that you're currently with Trees Louisville, but can you give us a little bit more of your background and even how you got into trees?
2: Okay. Well, I am a horticulturist by education. I graduated from the University of Kentucky Department of uh, the College of Agriculture uh, with a specialty in horticulture fruits and vegetable production. And I'm just one of those people that feel the people plant connection is how we refer to it very strongly. And so I've always been um, an outdoor person, a gardening person, a, um, a, a person that, that appreciates all things green and, and soils. I have a minor in agronomy, so uh, when I moved to Louisville 30 years ago, I was fortunate enough to be uh, involved with Operation Brightside. I was hired as the community gardening coordinator. What a what a um, plum job for a horticulture major that specialized in fruit and vegetable production. So I got to work in, in lots of of neighborhoods in Louisville. I worked in Brussels and California and Parkland and in Cotter Lang back when it was Cotter Lang. And uh, at the same time, because I was involved with Brightside, which was a nonprofit organization that uh, was started by by Mayor Abramson, I also got to know um, the you know the city of Louisville and and departments and how they work and. And I also got to know the board of Brightside, which, um, not surprisingly, are kind of work uh, at the time, you know, kind of movers and shakers in the community. So what a lucky introduction I had to, to the city of Louisville. And I um, had uh, a, a couple of other things along the way. Um, you know, I, I, I became a city of Louisville employee in the Department of Community Services, and, again, I expanded my knowledge about uh, the neighborhoods of Louisville. And then I kind of went off on my own. Uh, my kids were getting a little bit older, so I started consulting uh, just for myself. Um, did, did some municipal and neighborhood work, which was great because, again, learning more about Louisville. And I, I, I worked for um, MSD and for the Olmsted Parks Conservancy. And along that, um, you know, during that time, um, I also became a certified arborist and I, I joke um, that um, the, the young people I know now that are certified arborists have a, a number that identifies them. And it's, you know, in the nine thousands and I won't even tell them what my number is because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a low number. Yeah. A little bit lower. Well, so, yes. so how did yes.
1: you, how did you end up then transitioning to trees Louisville?
2: When um, I was working for uh, WHAS um, radio, I'm sure that everyone that listens to your podcast is familiar with Fred Wishy. Mm -hmm. Fred Wishy passed away um, in 1998 and I had been filling in for Fred on the radio and uh, when he was sick. So when he passed away, the radio station asked if I would take his job, and I was working at Wave Three at the same time doing gardening features. And when that, and I did that for nearly 25 years. When those companies, those local, when it became not local companies, but they became national companies, and the people in New York are going, "Why do you have a gardening expert on your staff?" That that job sort of you know went to the wayside. In the meantime, though. One one of the board members, and actually a former chair of Operation Brightside, contacted me and said, we want to start this nonprofit organization called Trees Louisville, and we want you to uh, be involved. And interestingly, so so Trees Louisville came about because in 2012, Mayor Fisher uh, wrote an executive order to create the Louisville Metro Tree Advisory Commission. It was an all-volunteer board that um, he wanted um, to have, you know, to look at where our canopy is in Louisville, what we could do to make it better um, if, if we needed to, and um, what we needed to do to have a stronger urban forestry focus here in Louisville. So that organization, that board um, had a three-year window of opportunity to get uh, its work done. And when and when they sunsetted, that's when Trees Louisville was formed. I, I should say, in the meantime, the Louisville Metro Tree Advisory Commission made a lot of recommendations to the mayor that uh, were very important. They advised him to create a division of community forestry, which he did, to hire an urban forester, which he did, and they advised him to have an urban tree canopy assessment done for our city. And that urban tree canopy assessment showed an alarming loss of trees during that eight year study period, which was another part of the reason that Trees Louisville, that it was so important that Trees Louisville be formed.
0: We came across this study out of Georgia Tech. Uh, It was reported on by WFPL. It it found that Louisville uh, actually had the fastest growing heat island of any of the 50 largest cities in the country. So, could you maybe explain what a heat island is and, and what that means for our city?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that was in 2012 as well. So there were a lot of things that were happening happening in 2012 to get us to where we are today. There was um, a U of L law um, environmental law class that did um, their version of an urban tree canopy assessment that showed that we were losing trees. And Brian Stone was the researcher at Georgia Tech University that did the study that looked at the 50 largest cities in the United States. And Louisville was was included in that in that number. And he looked at the change in temperature per decade for four decades from the 60s to um, the 2000s. And he found that Louisville's increase in temperature per decade over that time period over those four decades was 1.67 degrees. The next the next city in line was Phoenix, Arizona, and their increase was 0. 0.8 degrees. So,
0: wow, Louisville, yeah, that's substantial. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, the numbers are the numbers are crazy. I mean, almost so that that I think he ended up throwing out the numbers for for Louisville for his study because they they skewed everything so much.
0: Yeah, such an outlier.
2: Um, yeah, but regardless, the definition, if you will, of an urban tree of the urban heat island effect is the difference in the the difference in temperature in the center city versus the outlying areas. So, for instance, um, I, one of the best ways to explain it I think is that if you live on um, on the edge of Jefferson County, you know, near Shelby County or Oldham County, and you drive into work every morning to downtown Louisville, there can be as much as a 10 to 12 degree difference it's gonna be 10 or 12 degrees hotter in the center city because that's where the concentration of the built environment is. That's where there's buildings and hardscapes and all those air conditioners that are putting out heat and there are fewer trees. And the trees that are in the outlying areas transpire and they cool um, you know, the atmosphere, um, particularly overnight so that those temperatures stay cooler, whereas the heat doesn't dissipate in the downtown area.
0: And, and so I think you kind of hit on it right there, but so what would you say is the best way to kind of reverse that, that heat effect, that heat island effect?
2: Well, study after study shows that having a robust tree canopy, and, and by tree canopy, I mean all those branches and stems and leaves that are in the top of the tree that provide shade. Um, a robust tree canopy is, is by far the most efficient and effective means of reducing the urban heat island effect.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's to say nothing all about, about shade. Yeah, to say nothing about what else they might contribute to the community, you know. But uh, about the Heat Island, specifically in Louisville, is it experienced evenly across the city, or are there maybe some areas that are harder hit?
2: There are areas that are harder hit. Um, because of Brian's original 2012 study, uh, you know, that created a lot of interest, obviously, here in Louisville. So Brian actually – Um, came back to Louisville and began a 2016 um, heat management study. So he looked at ways to reduce the urban heat island effect, specifically in Louisville. And that study is available online at the louisvilleky.gov website if you just Google 2016 heat management study, It'll, the whole study will come right up so that you can view that. But, you know, by far, he identified to answer your question, I'm sorry, he identified hot spots in the community and as you can imagine, the hot spots are in the downtown area where, you know, the tree canopy is 8% and there's all that hard, hardscape. Um, in the airport area uh, and surrounds, And then some areas in Southwest Louisville where there's a lot of industry and a lot of hardscape, but not as much canopy.
1: So Cindy, with that then, is there, are there any initiatives? So I know you worked with me a little bit uh, in, in develop, or at least helped me uh, when I was developing the Audubon Park forest code that kind of mirrored a lot of what Metro Louisville's recent, recent forest code is. Uh, Besides that, I haven't really heard of uh, of too many initiatives other than what Trees Louisville is doing. I mean, what what are some of the projects you all are working on to kind of maybe fix some of the greening issues in maybe the west end or low income areas?
2: Well, the vast majority of our projects are located in those low canopy uh, neighborhoods. The um the urban tree canopy assessment that was uh, published in 2015 that was done by the Davie Resource Group it, it is a very granular, very detailed study. Again, it's 114 pages, and, it, and, it's, and, and you can see that on um, the Louisville KY website. Um, so we concentrate the vast majority of our projects in west, south-central, and southwest Louisville. Those are um, the areas where the lowest canopy. So um, we also work with education and with public awareness so that we are um, trying to get more people to understand how important and how valuable the urban tree canopy is. I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, um, you know, all all of those other services that trees provide, well, I mean, trees clean our air and they, they intercept stormwater, which... Can um, which reduces MSD's uh, you know, investment in, in, in hardscape. They save energy for people. And there's also this aspect of social cohesion. And I think that that's something that we don't talk about enough. If you've got um, a nice shady front yard and you've got a front porch, you are much more apt to sit on your front porch and know your neighbors and talk to your neighbors than you are if it's um, – you know, it's like a desert because you have no shade. So so those are things that I think are, are, are really important. Those are things that, that we work on specifically at Trees Louisville. Advocacy is another big part of it. And there have been some really important initiatives um, that, that have been put in place over the last couple of years. Uh, one is um, a, a, as a recommendation from the Louisville Metro Tree Advisory Commission, Metro Council uh, wrote a resolution to uh, create a public tree protection ordinance and that tree protection ordinance applies to any uh, public trees so trees that are on the right-of-way trees that are on um, you know metro properties so there are um, so so that ordinance requires that any tree that is removed from the right-of-way has to have the stump ground out within three months and it has to have the tree replaced within a year. So that's um, that was a very important step for Louisville Metro uh, to put into place. Since then, the um, again as a result of a resolution presented by Metro Council, revisions have been made to the Land Development Code for new development and those revisions require preservation Of trees that are on existing that are existing on um, properties that are going to have new development Uh, developers are now required to save 20% of the trees on a property so that's huge we've never had that before and the um, the numbers the percentages of trees that are ultimately required to be replaced on those new developments were increased fairly dramatically so again, that was a huge policy change that will make a difference for the future in so, preserving and enhancing tree canopy.
1: So so you, you're you talking about, and these policies are wonderful, and part of the reason you know I, I wanted to get some of them enacted in Audubon in Park, at least for the right-of-way part of it, but do you see these policies being enforced consistently across Louisville? I mean, I know you're not in the enforcement division of Metro or anything, but you are, kind of more in that sphere do you i mean do you see that actually occurring
2: well enforcement is an issue there's no doubt about that (laughs) um and 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 um the the people from the building industry as well as um um, louisville metro folks and, and environmentalists will all tell you that if if we did a better job of enforcement we'd be um way far ahead of where we are now um and and that is something that's just got to come down um come down the road but unfortunately with budget restrictions right now it's difficult to add more people to be able to to do that inspection and enforcement that needs to happen
1: so if we're talking about so policy and enforcement are always two things that you know should go hand in hand but they they can oftentimes interact very, very differently from each other. Uh, With that said, do you see uh, kind of any argument back and forth between the the need and desire for solar panels versus tree planting requirements, you know, just presumably because shade reduces the efficiency of solar panels? Uh, Are are they compatible?
2: Well. I'm sure that Sarah Lynn Cunningham would tell you that that no, they're not compatible Um, but I think that there are uh, lots of opportunities for um, solar um, in in the Louisville metro area Um, I don't think that you can't I don't think that they have to be mutually exclusive. I think that you can have a robust tree canopy, and you can also have solar panels that that will help in the long run. We just had a meeting, a forum with the Build Back Better Together a, a I mean, initiative that um, the mayor's office started, and and uh, that was one of the um, topics that came up over and over and over again. You know, solar panels. I mean, it's so important to be able to have this renewable energy, and when you look at at the downtown area, for instance, that has 308 um, surface parking lots, um, why couldn't those be an opportunity for, um, for doing some solar panel installations? Um, there, there, there's lots of open areas um, former farm fields and that sort of thing within um, the 400 square miles of Jefferson County that would be uh, that would provide ample opportunity for um, for solar. So, I, I don't hey, think that they have to be mutually ex- exclusive.
1: Do you, so I guess what you're saying, I mean, are you seeing some pushback from like the pro solar panel perspective? Right. I mean, I, I think ultimately I see a little bit of maybe disincentives uh, from the perspective of a homeowner who is looking to put solar panels on their home. But if they're in, a, in an area where they have the planting requirements uh, to put on a, uh, to replace a tree in their right of way in front of their homes and the most efficient right. place for their solar panel would be on the front of their homes. How, how do you kind of deal with that maybe when you're talking to homeowners or, or, or pushing for, for policy change?
2: Well, one of the features, one of the um, elements that was given a little bit more strength in the land development code revisions was an in-lieu program. Mm-hmm. So um, so maybe, maybe it's not practical to have solar panels on your home, but is there someplace else in lieu that you could have solar panels and take advantage of of generating that, um, that energy. I, I think that if we think outside the box a little bit and we're, um, a little bit more creative that we can, that we can come up with solutions that aren't necessarily, um, you know, house by house. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I definitely think you can probably find a common ground with, with most homeowners and, and, and strike, uh, a resolution that would that would be amicable to that you know everyone involved
1: well and it's not just and to be fair you know i think cindy what you're hitting at is looking at more outside the box solutions. so it just doesn't have to be the most efficient place on your home if putting it on your garage or the backside of your home is more efficient uh and then having still and you can still have the right-of-way trees or if you can have them like you said in, in a parking lot or, or some other area um, we just have to be more open to to the places we're looking for. And I think that goes for both putting in solar panels and trees, right? That if we're looking at downtown, you have to find the places where you can sneak in greenery and places you can sneak in solar panels.
2: Exactly. Well,
0: uh, Cindy, throughout the conversation, we've been talking about, you know adding trees and adding canopy layer but we haven't really talked about what types of trees we're planting. is there an added benefit if you're using native plants as opposed to you know a, a non-native plant that's maybe more aesthetically pleasing
2: well now that's an interesting question and um, obviously there are uh, lots of people that are very pro pro-native and um, um, and, and that's perfectly understandable. I think the reality is that with climate change, we are seeing these native plants moving, and the native plants that that are typical of just let's just say Kentucky um, are are probably not going to be in the long run the the best choices because the climate's changing. Um, so, we at Trees, Louisville, um, our philosophy is uh, diversity is the key. Um, we uh, for one thing, we, there are basically three when you talk to arborists about tree sizes, there's, you, know, basically three types of trees. And an A tree, a type A tree, is uh, one that's going going to mature at um, greater than 50 feet, say. And then the B tree are kind of the middle-sized trees, the trees that go maybe from 25 feet to 50 feet, and that's, they're, you know, going to top off at that, at that top range. And then C trees are um, the ones like our native dogwoods and service berries that will typically top out at, at, say, 25 feet. So we advocate for canopy trees, those big trees, the type A trees, and we advocate for lots of diversity. Um, because that's the only way that you can prevent, um, you know, things like chestnut blight and emerald ash borer and um, Dutch elm disease from wiping out, you know, entire neighborhoods of trees. You've got to have, you have to have diversity. And of course, you know, needless to say, we use lots and lots of natives, but we also use um, cultivars um, that, you know, that have been selected for specific characteristics you know, and we use um, we use some other um, uh, trees, you know, that would be considered exotic to you know um, a native plant person. But you know, they're very durable and and trust me, um, selecting trees for urban sites, um, you've got to have a tree that has um, lots of vigor and uh, can withstand you know the vagaries of urban soil conditions and Um, obviously the heat and um, size restrictions and and, and all of those sorts of things. So we work really hard to um, include diversity and to include trees that are appropriate for a particular site, whether they're native or not.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned the ash borer and and, uh, another, uh, there's a whole host of, uh, you know, tree illnesses that that have uh, decimated different parts of our country, uh, adding in climate change. Is it Difficult to find the diversity you need?
2: Um, no, we're we're really doing a pretty good job about uh, um, with that. We are fortunate um, within the Trees Louisville family to have um, Mike Heyman working with us, and Mike is um, he's a retired Courier Journal fr- photographer, but he for the last twenty five years or so. Um, has just become an absolute passionate arborist. And he has made a point of meeting people all over the country that are um, working with various trees, um, either either selecting and developing or discovering um, cultivars. Um, you know, for instance, we, we've actually brought in quite a few trees from um, Oklahoma. Um, because if something can survive in Oklahoma, where the soils are um, alkaline and um, the weather conditions are very warm, um, then they should be able to survive in, in our urban environment. And we've had really good luck with um, with several of those species. So that's um, you know it's a it's a constant a combination of, of science and art uh, uh, with us. That's part of the reason that I'm so passionate about horticulture. Is it, it allows you to it allows you to do science and art um, so, simultaneously.
1: So, Cindy, do, does Louisville currently have enough diversity? I know you're working on it, and, and it seems like the access to it is, isn't that great of a challenge, but does Louisville currently have enough diversity in, it, in its tree canopy?
2: Well, in order to be able to answer that question, we would really have to have a better sense of the tree inventory that we have here in Louisville and Jefferson County. And that's a very expensive proposition. Um, I I can tell you that um, in in the work that I've done with some smaller communities, typically there's not enough diversity. But again, I think that if, if we all keep that top of mind and if we're all working toward that goal, um, it, it can um, eventually uh, we could, we could improve our diversity.
1: So, okay, so then what, what types of tips then would you have for homeowners if, if they're looking at planting a tree or, or maintaining their current tree, maybe in their right of way or on their private property? What What do you think they should know when going on to maintaining or, or, or planting new trees?
2: Um, okay, so this is just my personal uh, opinion, right? My, my recommendations mm-hmm. would be first, you know, to go for the largest tree that, that you can put in the space um, I would say um, what I, what I really um, advise people and have forever is go to your local garden center and stroll around and see what appeals to you um, do some research um, look at those plant tags know you know how big the tree is going to get high and wide um, and if there are special requirements um, like um, soil conditions the pH of the soil and and, and really just do a little bit of homework. It really, um, it, you know, it comes down to um, kind of, uh, you know, what your personal preferences are. Because if you if you like something, you are better have to take care of it. So, again, finding the biggest tree that fits in the site and doing some homework to, to make sure that that tree doesn't have particular problems. Um, that you'll have to deal with along the way. And then making sure that you're maintaining a tree properly, which starts with planting it properly. And again, if you go to the Trees Louisville website, TreesLouisville.org, there's lots of planting uh, tips, lots of watering tips, because the first couple of years of establishment are really important in regard to um, ensuring that the tree gets the water that it needs. Um, and uh, you know, some pruning practices. And you know because again, when a tree is little, it's a lot easier to do some structural pruning to ensure that it's going to have uh, the strongest shape possible. And then long term maintenance is really, really important too. As your trees are growing and or if you happen to have a tree that is quite large, having it pruned professionally every two or three years is really important because that allows the wind um, to go through to blow through the tree. Um, which reduces the load and the danger of it, of it falling, you know, and, it, you know, it allows air movement that, that can go through the tree, too, to to help um, uh, improve the environment that will um, um, keep disease and, and insect problems at bay. So long-term maintenance is really important, too.
0: Well, that's maybe something I need to address in my own backyard. But uh, Cindy, we uh, we got to wrap it up here soon. But before we let you go, we'd like to ask all of our guests this final question. If you could change one policy, anything to do with Louisville, what would you do?
2: I would, oh my gosh, one policy in Louisville. I would try and create a policy that helps to mitigate the historical racist policies of of things like redlining. Um, uh, I, I think that that probably it would be top of mind for me right now.
1: Absolutely. We yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah, it, it's completely understandable in, in this climate and everything. And, you know, I think you see – some, I mean, even I think even in your industry, right, the lack of trees and and, develop, and plantings and green space in uh, lower income areas because of historical redlining, I think they go hand in hand.
2: Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. We can take those redlining maps and overlay tree canopy and the redlined areas have 22% canopy and the greenlined areas have 49 So that's just an indication of oh. the historical, um, yeah. Um, Those policies that were federal policies, you know, that we've got to make up for.
0: Yeah, they perpetuate challenges all the way through to today. Constantly. Sure.
1: Well, Cindy, we we really appreciate your time and, and thanks for
0: joining our show.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll pick
0: back up with our reaction segment after a word from our sponsor.
1: Luke, that was a that was a fascinating episode we just had with Cindy Sullivan. Uh, I, I really liked how she talked, went into about what Trees Louisville does. One thing she didn't mention that I'm a big fan of that they started a couple of years ago is that they started planting trees at schools, which for some reason people thought needed to be vacant areas of just grass with no shade and any type of other shrubbery or anything there so i think they they've done a great job of taking the public green space that they have access to and really really trying to help green up louisville
0: yeah i think that i mean that kind of fits in line with the picture i have in my head of a school you know Mm -hmm. you don't i I don't picture big trees around it and i think I, i could see the argument being made against it is like oh we don't want kids climbing and falling you know i I think it's an easy argument i don't know if it's a good argument because there aren't really times that i can remember at school when i wasn't didn't have some chaperone yeah yeah you have a supervisor uh, yeah you got a supervisor but um but i i could imagine that's why but i'm glad to see that we're kind of reversing that trend and we're Mm -hmm. starting to put them there Mm -hmm. and i think it's just a great thing to have the city finally starting to take the initiative on growing its canopy layer recognizing that there is a problem recognizing that we're very susceptible to the heat sink heat sink effect and that we uh, we really need to start doing something about well, it.
1: Well, yeah, it's taking the easy areas that you can develop. So right of way space and schools and parks are the three easiest spaces to de- to make changes towards. Right. Uh,
0: can, yeah. I think we need to kind of define right away for people that maybe don't have okay. like the best understanding. So, so a
1: right of way space is, essentially the, the space between the road and where a sidewalk is, or would be in front of your home, it can go, it can vary. It can be a little bit beyond that a little bit further into your front yard, but for the most part, that's about where it is. And you see that in, you don't really have the grass strip in store for, or storefronts or downtown as much, but you do have where those trees are located in con- basically concrete
0: squares. Uh, so those would all be right of way trees as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and in those areas in particular in the downtown when you've got all kinds of black asphalt all kinds of glass all kinds of air conditioning yes. increasing that heat those are going to be like the most important areas to to try and uh, maintain those trees, grow the canopy, try and plant more if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, it's going to improve the walkability and, and yeah. the, the livability in the downtown area.
1: And, and drainage, right? I mean, we've been having flooding issues lately too. Uh, but the other thing that I think is important that she didn't actually mention, but it, it's not directly trees related, but uh, a, a thing that's becoming more and more popular are the pervious surfaces. A lot of the, uh, the legend- legendary trail in Lexington that connects downtown to some of the horse parks, that trail has all pervious surfaces or throughout most of it. So that when it rains, the water drains through the concrete rather than just puddling all over to the side.
0: Yeah. Creating like one massive uh, like deluge where, where everything's yeah. going to end up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, it, and by doing that, it keeps the surfaces cooler and it's just better for, for the environment in general.
0: Oh, absolutely. That actually kind of segues me into the paper that, that I read for today. It was, it was Urban Forest's as green infrastructure. Uh, the, the city of Vancouver, Washington actually estimated that their existing tree canopy provided an annual savings of $12.9 million uh, in terms of installing extra uh, stormwater retention structures. And like, yeah. that, that's just a oh, massive, wow. yeah, it's a massive savings. If, uh, and and, you know, people can, can nitpick, uh, like methodologies and and stuff and how they might've arrived at that answer, but but there's no question. There's a massive cost saving element. If you can increase like the root structure and, and help, uh, help mediate some of the the damage that can be caused by excessive rains or flooding. And and we know that's a problem we've had here in Louisville. Uh, Flooding has been increasingly a problem.
1: Yeah. And so is it just, Oh, we just need to build bigger drainage ditches or do we need to find other ways to actually improve? Or we
0: can put this other thing in that like everybody likes, it looks good. It cools us down and it's, you know,
1: and you don't have to have a street dug up for a year to, to put them in. Exactly. So. Who
0: loves waiting on construction?
1: Right. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing is too, that, that I think that Cindy hit on is that the trees just really create a lot more walkability. You go sit out, maybe meet your neighbors more. They, they, it's just better for community involvement, right? Cause it's keeping you cool. It's keeping you outside
0: and keeping you interacting with others. Yeah, no, no question. This summer has been for me, just unbearably hot. And, yes. and I've been downtown a lot. There's been obviously protest movements and there's there's been a lot of reason to get out. And if we had a, a better canopy layer, yes. I swear it would be easier on everyone down there right oh, now. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but one thing I, I also wanted to talk about, she mentioned uh, that the enforcement of mm-hmm. some of the the codes we already have for maintaining our canopy layer, they maybe aren't getting uh, enforced in the way that we would hope. Yeah. Uh, and you sitting on the council, you probably have a little better understanding of that than me.
1: Well, and so so that's the thing that is so interesting is that basically from what I've heard is, is Metro Louisville is just not enforcing their right of way uh, tree canopy work whatsoever. Now maybe maybe I could be wrong, but that's basically what I've heard. Now with and and with the developer side of that where they're saying, where, where Cindy Sullivan mentioned that there had to be 20% maintained in some of these new construction sites. As far as that goes, I mean, wouldn't it make sense if, if the penalties aren't harsh enough, it could be very easy for a developer to simply just cut down all the trees and then ask for forgiveness and pay the fine, yeah, just pay the fine. rather than just trying to have fight a court battle and... and cut down more trees than, than what yeah, they want.
0: Yeah, well, we wrote the law so that, you know, it, it it's aiming for a specific goal of, like, maintaining these trees. Mm-hmm. And if the penalty is so low or the enforcement is so lax that people just ignore it and do what they want, then it's not really even – it's just not effective. Yeah. And, know, so, uh, we, have, uh, we have an enforcement uh, office uh, who, who
1: – So that should be code enforcement for Metro Louisville is enforcing it. But part of the issue with it as well is – I'm sure. I, I doubt it, but I, I would highly doubt that Metro Louisville has a, some sort of index of all of the trees that they have lining in the right-of-way space throughout Metro Louisville. And so with, with that being the case, it seems very difficult for them to enforce it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and now if they notice one, being cut down, needing to be replaced, then they can go in and they can have that code enforcement. But I I basically heard that they're not doing that. Now, the other aspect of it, uh, of this policy for Metro, which is really, really important, is that at least from the right, not the developer side, but at least from the right of way perspective, uh, it doesn't apply to the incorporated cities within Louisville. And for those of you that don't know- Yeah, this is important. There are 83 incorporated cities within Louisville, like Audubon Park or St. Matthews or J town. uh, And. Basically takes up a third of the city. So as far as I know, Audubon Park is the only one that's actually mirrored Metro Louisville's right of way policy. Yeah. And so if none of the rest of them are doing it now, granted they are greener than other areas of Metro Louisville, just, I think from their development standpoint, but. If nobody is creating these policies out in the east end, then we're just, Louisville's just missing so much space to to ultimately fix its tree canopy issue and its heat island effect because you just have a third of the population not not having to, to deal with the laws that everyone else is.
0: No, absolutely. And I mean, that that's one of those times when the, you do see a conflict between the, the smaller cities and like the, the larger metro and, council.
1: And to be clear, the reason it doesn't apply to the incorporated cities, which most of the time Louisville does have priority over the incorporated cities. Yeah. But the reason it doesn't apply here is because the smaller cities get to have ownership of their right-of-way. Their streets and their right-of-way space is basically the strongest uh, area or, or claim to authority
0: that the incorporated cities have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I also, going back to that enforcement, if someone were to be fined, does that cash flow into just the general fund or what? what, what does the city do with it?
1: So for us, it would just go into a, a, a penalty section It might flow back into the, the code enforcement section, or I think it just actually goes into, to our general fund. Um, but as far as Louisville Metro goes, yeah. it is a, they have a separate escrow fund set up. Yeah. Like so, a
0: three escrow fund.
1: Yeah. So yeah. what they, and and that's why this is, so, that's so important because either Metro Louisville can allocate mon, fun, funds from the general fund into that escrow account or and or they get funds from fines and that they get from code enforcement that goes into that and so the, so the point of that code and for, or the the tree escrow fund is so that people that cannot afford to replace a tree can
0: get one given to them by metro Louisville and get yeah, that they'll simply just pay for it out of that that escrow account and that's yes. what makes the the lack of compliance so so outrageous you know because you're, you stand the potential of, of just getting a free replacement tree. Yeah. You know, it, it's just following the proper procedures mm-hmm. and, and following the code, you know?
1: Yeah. And it also depends the, the issue too, if there, if Metro Louisville is not enforcing this and you're having budgetary issues yeah. is met it takes away pressure for Louisville Metro to put money into that fund because they have other budgetary restraints. And then you also aren't enforcing it and getting fines or getting permit fees from the people that can't afford it, That then the escrow fund never develops. So which which ultimately is the most important thing. So it's great to hear that trees Louisville is going out and planting trees on their own in these private areas, but you need, you need help from
0: the city to also have that escrow fund fully funded. Absolutely. Uh, another aspect of these escrow accounts really is I view them as funding replacement trees for people that might not be able to afford them. Mm-hmm. And and another, you know, it feeds into what you were saying earlier about the gross inequity between redlined and greenlined uh, areas of the city. What was that percentage that she... It was. Said? It was...
1: For red line districts, it was 22% canopy coverage. And for green line districts, it was 49%.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And,
1: and, And ultimately, what she brought up and she hit on an extremely important point, that with all the racial and social movements that we've had in this past year, one particular concept that... I think is often getting overlooked by people that maybe oppose the movements is that the there has been historical ramifications of laws that are still percolating to this day so the fact that there was redlining is still dramatically impacting the quality of life of black louisvillians who couldn't get property in particular areas or had their value their properties devalued so we are just seeing these constant not just reminders but actual impact of historical laws and
0: this is just another example i'm glad she brought it up i one last thing i really wanted to get in there we missed it during the interview but uh when speaking about the the study that found Global is a massive outlier you know mm-hmm. a, a, i think uh, the number was a 1.5 degree uh, increase in, mm-hmm. in like our urban or our downtown area that that was measured uh, obviously as any scientific study in celsius and then just a few moments later uh, when we were discussing uh you know the temperature difference you know when you're driving from the suburbs into the city you know it was i think you know five to eight degrees that that was Fahrenheit, fair you know so it just if there was any confusion, want to clear that up, you know, 1.5 degrees might not sound like a lot Uh, in terms of climate change. It's Mm -hmm. a lot. And and when you add in that it's Celsius, that's definitely a little bit more more. than it sounds.
1: Well, and and ultimately I think that that five to eight is more tangible for people, at least in America. Well, yeah, because we use
0: Fahrenheit.
1: But I think the important aspect of it is that what we're just, we're not finding the room to, put greenery wherever we can. And I think that's what she hit on. What Cindy's yeah. hit on is that just for example, in Singapore, they put greenery in their skyscrapers. You know, they find any, just Google their skyline and you can see any type of, you know, location throughout the country
0: or throughout the city, there's green hanging off. Bill, well, you see, like uh, green skyscrapers are are definitely becoming more prominent mm-hmm. in in bigger cities. It, it's the uh, I think the chosen design route that a lot of people are trying to go with now. They want to mm-hmm. incorporate as much green as much. Uh, you know, foliage uh, as they can because it has all these added benefits. It's going to decrease your your uh, the cost to cool your building. It's going to uh, just uh, aesthetically. I think it looks good. It it, it has a bunch of benefits mm-hmm. that we're only just beginning to recognize, and and it's a good thing that we're starting to incorporate
1: that. Especially if you're incorporating solar panels with it as well, and that goes back to oh yeah uh, the whole discussion where it's just a difficult balance but you've got to make sure that you're trying to do both both as most efficiently as possible.
0: Yeah. No question.
1: The other thing that I think is really important from a policy perspective and this, this is a real easy one, I think where you could just get the forest board of Metro Louisville to go out. We were talking about the diversity of trees earlier. You could just get the, the Metro Louisville forest board to basically go and label trees in their parks
0: because I love that. She
1: she was talking about oh, how yeah. you should go to your home and garden center and go to these different places so that you can learn more about trees. But if you're seeing it from like a baby perspective is not near the same as if you can walk into a park and be like, Oh, I like the way that tree looks. Let me go Google more about it so I can figure out what tree I'm actually looking at, what I will actually get in my own yard.
0: Oh yeah. And especially when you, you've got like old growth in a park, you get to see what a really fully developed tree looks exactly. like, you know, of, of that specific variety. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. And, and you see it in some parks, but not all. Like yeah. we, if you could, have that universal across all the Olmstead parks, all the, all the major parks in Louisville that that would be great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought that was
1: a fascinating interview and I, I think, is there anything else you have to add? Not really, man. I had a good time today though.
0: Yeah, it was great. All right. As always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us on building this community. If you'd like any more information, you can follow us on Twitter at building this com or you can follow Andrew at Andrew J. Clump, And you can also follow Luke at LMP43. Definitely subscribe and we look forward to talking to you guys next
2: week.